Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, or our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us and keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. The question I'm going to circle around is, what is your life strategy? Okay? What's your life strategy? And I know that seems a little vague, but maybe right off the bat, you're like, I got a strategy. This is what I'm doing. Um, trying to work towards retirement and just live a happy life. I don't know. Um, whatever that might be, I want you to think about it. I want to I wrestle with that for the next, I don't know, 20 minutes. Because last week, we, I drew this, this image of what the church was has kind of been designed around. Um, The design has been Sunday morning for an hour, come be a part of it. Um, The way that a church is measured as successful is how many people are within the building, um, how much budget you have, um, and, and how beautiful that building is, right? That's kind of the traditional model that we see in Western culture, in American culture. And what I see in Scripture and what I pray that we can continue to push towards is that we recognize there's some value in those things. Those aren't all evil. They're not bad. There's definitely churches that are on mission that have a lot of those things that we talk about. Um, But really the heartbeat of what early disciples, the early church, uh, what they owned was being on mission. So turning the church on its side and moving forward, that there's an arrow going out that it's not meant to be just an hour on Sunday morning. It's meant to be lived out during the week. And that's why at the end of every service, I think I always pray that, like, send us out, right? Like, this is a huddle. It's not meant to be a holy huddle. It's meant to be a huddle where we come in the locker room, the dojo, if you will, whatever it is, and we come together and we talk about what it looks like to live out our faith, and then we go live it during the week, right? That, like, really where the the return on investment is, is how you guys live your lives during the week with neighbors, with coworkers, right? With people that are cutting you off on the freeway and how you treat them. All these different areas of life where we're called to be on mission, it's a 24-7 thing. And so what I want to do is kind of build on that because this week's passage that comes from the lectionary um, is Romans 12, 9 through 21. And this is going to be an extension of our worship. Um, We've been really focused on Lecto Divina lately, and I know that it's like a Latin word that just sometimes just loses meaning, um, but it's really just divine reading. It's like taking this reading and making it more than just words on a page. Does that make sense? To where it's not just a good teaching to go like, oh, that sounds really cool. Like, I like that. We should live like that. But actually letting it sink into our lives. And so divine reading is saying, I'm going to read it. I'm going to reflect on what it's doing in me, how it might shape me, and then go live it out, right? And like really go like put this to like feet to the pavement kind of stuff, right? Um, so before we do that, let me just can we pull that off the screen real quick? We'll just go back a slide. Um, so what's your life strategy? I want to start by telling a story because this week um, I got to share my testimony at Christian Surfers. We've been taking our girls down Monday nights 
And if any of you want to join us, um, you don't have to surf, but um, we surf from 5.30 to 6.30, and then at 6.30, they usually have pizza, and we hang out, and we just want an environment where our girls can be around other surfers that are, that are living it right, that are just pursuing Jesus. And so we go down there, and, um, and so one of the leaders was like, hey, like, I know you're a pastor. Would you mind sharing your testimony? I was like, sure. And so I, I got up this week and um, kind of shared the journey of how Christian surfers played a huge role, because that was a big part of how I began to discover who Jesus was, um, was a bunch of surfers that met at the Oceanside Pier uh, on, I think, I think it was still a Monday night, and we met there for hot dogs, and we'd surf beforehand, and I got to know a bunch of people that, that really loved Jesus, and the way that they lived their lives was very inspiring. And I wanted more of that. And that was like, that was originally kind of like the seed that was planted of like following Jesus and um, got to know Uncle Mike, my shaper. I've shared with you guys that story Um, and learning about his life and that he loved Jesus. And so, um, but when I shared my testimony, I began to reflect back and it's been a long time since I've done that um, on what, what was it that really was like the linchpin that convinced me to follow Jesus and like actually make it something part of my life. And one of the things that I share and, I, and I've, I've kind of started to see is that I loved surfing a lot, right? Way too much. Like it consumed my life. It was everything. And when I began to see that surfing doesn't satisfy, that it didn't actually make me happy all the time, I began to ask questions of like, what's my life strategy? Like, what, is, what more is there? I didn't phrase it that way when I was younger, but I was like, what else is there? What else can there be? Because waves never fully deliver. Some of you guys know that surf, like you go out and you have expectations of fun waves and it's sometimes it's not fun. It's like frustrating because there's crowds and all kinds of stuff, right? Um, the process of growing up, putting my, like, all my expectations, like, I kind of wanted to be a pro surfer. Um, we got sponsored, and I thought that that would somehow make me more content, more happy. Um, those things, like, they never really, like, satisfied me, and they never really, like, gave me that kind of contentment that I began to see in Jesus. And, and I know it, it sounds cliche, and it's kind of like we trust in all kinds of stuff other than Jesus, but it really was something that, like, I think convinced me in a very like shallow way that that was somehow going to make me happy. That like if I achieved a certain job, like if I became a pro surfer, if I got the right waves, then I'd be happy. And I'd be like, as soon as you get done with good, great waves, you want more, right? And that applies to everything. I found that in my relationships, like when I was dating in high school and in college, that it was like trying to find somebody that would make me happy that I'd somehow be like content. And putting our expectations on other people doesn't make you happy, does it? Like, we all seem to, like, there's, it doesn't deliver. Like, there's greatness in it. Sure, it's fun. It's hap- there's happiness. There's joy within it. But it doesn't truly make us content. And I've found that in Christ, that's where I've found, like, the true joy, true peace, true contentment. And so I want to kind of, I guess, use that as a backdrop um, for, like, what's that strategy look like? And this passage that we got this week um, I say we got it because I don't just pick it like we're going through the lectionary. And it, it really, I think, piggybacks on last week of like really like what is, where's our purpose? What's our meaning? Where do we begin to like find our hope and that joy and that contentment? 
And so what I want to do is I'm going to read it through. And if you guys don't mind, take out your phones and um, the notes section, if you have a way of taking notes, however you take notes. I don't know. I don't want to like prescribe this to you. But um, if you have an iPhone, notes, open it up. Open a blank section, blank page. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to write down, we're going to bullet point the, the passage that we're about to read. And I, again, like we're doing all kinds of stuff that you don't normally do in church. Like this is a totally breaking the norm. But um, there's going to be a little bit of a moment of silence afterwards. I'm going to read it again. And what I want you to do is just like write one or two word um, descriptions of what we read. Okay? Because he goes into a lot. There's a ton of information that happens in these few lines. But just whenever, whatever you read, whatever you see there, write like just a one word description of it. Hit enter, next line, and just keep going, and we'll just make a list, okay? So it starts out, um, it's in Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21. Starts out, let love be genuine. So first round, I'm just going to say listen to it. Next round, we're going to go back and make notes, but just start to think of like how you're going to simplify each one. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take, uh, <clears throat> sorry, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink, for by doing this you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a big list, right? This is like the motto, the strategy that Paul throws out to early believers. And he's like, he's kind of summing up kind of the mission statement of what we're called to do. It's pretty powerful. There's a lot there. And the reason I'm going to have us listed out is because there is a lot. But I don't want to get lost in the noise of a lot. Does that make sense? Like, I want it to, like, sink in. I want it to be something that really transforms us. So I'm going to read it one more time. I know it's a lot. But just take notes, like write down one word examples of like whatever you think it is and just write them down. Um, and then we'll, we'll move into the next part of this message. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. If you can think of a way to sum up all of that in one word or even portions of it in one word. I know it's tricky, but it'll be on the screen. You guys can 
check it out as I cruise along. Do not lag in zeal, but be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And extend hospitality to strangers. Can you sum up portions of it or the whole thing if you wanted? I might overly simplify it. And here's the second part. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Have empathy, right? Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. The word haughty is like where you're prideful. Um, Your head's gotten too big. The focus becomes more on you than others. But associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. But take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a lot packed into that. And the reason I wanted to slowly just kind of chew on this chunk of Scripture is because if that's the mission statement for believers, then I have to believe that that's something that we have to value core to who we are 2,000 years later, right? That we have to embody what that looks like now. And and I know that many of us would say, yeah, I I want to embody that, and that I feel like that's always been my call as a Christian, but when you get into the details of that, that's hard. That's hard to live out. Um, there's some really challenging lines in there. And it's going to be a little different for all of us in different areas where it invites us to serve and love others. Um, but there's a, an invitation here to do certain things. In some religions... It's all about what you shouldn't do, right? Um, Even if you look at the Ten Commandments, you shall not. But what Jesus does, he starts to flip that and and give it deeper meaning, like kind of the, the reason why you should not is because you should be motivated to do this. And so it's instead of the do nots, this is what you should do. There's a little bit of the do nots at the end of it, but really there's a proactive stance to it that many other religions, and I know that like even right now, Stoicism has become very popular. Um, It's become kind of like a a great way to be religious without being totally religious. Um, If you look it up and you get on YouTube and you begin to watch some stuff, you'll see there's a ton of information on it. Um, But really the, the heartbeat behind it is, I want to be a good person. 
And so when we talk about our strategy in life, what stoicism does is it begins to give us this like sense that like what I'm doing is good and I'm not going to have tension between me and other people because I'm eliminating a lot of the stress and I'm eliminating the things that cause friction between us in relationships. But portions of it leave out space for loving and being intentionally actively moving out into love and actively bringing that kind of love towards other people, even those who do you wrong. And um, that's the beauty of what Jesus does. He begins to flip what our culture does on its head. And so um, as you look through the bullet point things that you've thrown in there on your notes, what stands out to you? And if you want to shout out one of them, if you feel comfortable doing that, go for it. But if not, I want you just at least take a second and think about which one stands out most to you as you sit here. Associate with the lowly. It's not easy. Yeah. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Taking it off of our plate, let God handle those things. The line that stood out to me, and I know it's kind of obvious because it's the very first one, but let love be genuine. That as Paul begins to describe the Christian life here in these sentences, his purpose there is a genuine love, not a love that's self-seeking, right? Like when you get into 1 Corinthians 13, um, not a love that is centered around me getting something in return. It's a love that says I truly love because God loves me, and so I genuinely love others. The motive behind how we live is so important. Because when we begin to love from a pure place, from a genuine place, I believe it transforms um, kind of the, the perspective that we have as to why we do what we do. And we're not just trying to love people because someone told us to, because the church told us to, or because even the Bible told us to. It's because we recognize that God desires that from us, that it's the ultimate best way to live. And that begins to transform everything that we do. Let's look at the second passage. Um, these are the two passages that I really want to focus in on that hopefully like, will carry us into this week. Um, is Matthew chapter 16 and the gospel mass- message from, or passage from the lectionary. Um, really develops this strategy a little bit further because it uses Peter's life as a backdrop as to how this plays out. So when we talk about loving genuinely, we see it played out in this conversation between Jesus and Peter. So it's really beautiful. So check this out. So it goes and says, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests. So um, it points out there that the suffering was caused by other people. This isn't like Jesus just choosing to do this or creating this on his own, that there is evil that exists in our world that he has to deal with, that he has to face. There's going to be suffering 
in Jesus' future. He puts it out there, and then he says, uh, and then on the third day, he'll be raised. Uh, And Peter took him aside. So Peter's frustrated with what he just heard from Jesus. He pulls him aside, and he began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. This is a powerful line where Jesus calls Peter Satan, right? Um, Probably the deepest insult that you could drop, the most truth you could drop right there, because he doesn't understand what Jesus is trying to do. And so he calls him Satan, and he says, you are a stumbling block to me. Because Jesus knew that there was a mission, there was a purpose behind what he was doing. And it goes on and it says, uh, you are stumbling block me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but what? Human things. Jesus makes a clear distinction that we can have a strategy that is caught up in things that are human rather than divine, that are human, physical world, rather than spiritual. This, to me, is so crucial to like understanding our perspective, our strategy when it comes to life and the perspective that we have as we live out the Christian faith, understanding that there is a different way, a different strategy that Jesus has that doesn't quite make sense to us all the time. It didn't make sense to Peter. Peter was so confused. He's like, wait, you're going to die? Why would you need to die? Like, I thought you're here to like redeem all things, make all things fresh and new and like display your power of God and just like drop down lightning on everybody. But Jesus is like, no, the the way that I'm going about this is love. Not coming back at this with more evil, with more destruction. He's like, I'm coming at this with love. That's why it's so powerful. So again, Peter's understanding was his strategy is like, we're going to like, we're going to fight back. We're going to do this our way. We're going to make sure we we just dominate what's happening in our culture right now. We're going to, we're going to take the world for Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Taking the world for Jesus means taking the way of suffering, taking the way of the cross. There's a power in it because there's resurrection that he points out there, but it's going to be different. He says, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone wants to become my followers, this is like the clutch line right here, okay? Check this out. Let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For who wants to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world, to have the best waves, to have everything you want, the dream job, the the dream home, the dream family, the dream relationships, the friendships, everything. What would you gain to have all of that stuff yet forfeit their soul, right? Where he says, um, for for, for what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? What Jesus says is there's a strategy that our human minds say, a strategy that we say is super important. Have more stuff. Have more everything and everything, like have the right relationships and everything will fall into place and it'll all work out. What Jesus says is no, you can't stake your life on that. You need to stake your life completely on Jesus and what he desires And that flips everything on its head and it begins to change how everything is viewed. Peter's view was, we need to fight back. We need to do things our way. And Jesus is like, no, we do things different. And what Jesus begins to acknowledge is that there's a challenge that exists in our world. There's going to be conflict. 
But what happens is that the strategy of how we approach life, it just has to be so centered around Jesus. And I know that's like a cliche answer. That's what we're going to say at church. But when Jesus becomes the center focus of our lives and not trying to perfect the outside world, it changes everything. If your strategy, check out this quote, um, if your strategy to make your inner world okay, like talking about your heart and your contentment and your happiness, if your strategy to make your inner world okay by making your outer world okay, that is a strategy doomed to fail. Are you tracking? Trying to control the outward environment, if that's your strategy, once everything is is cohesive out here. Once everybody's living the way that you want them to live, once everybody's doing the things, treating you the way that you want to be treated, if that's your goal, it's going to fail. Because we've all had people fail us, right? We've all had things let us down. I know I'm using the, the surfing world from when I was in high school as like my thing, but, but that really was the thing. I thought like surfing was going to make me happy, that having success somehow in life and... Um, that that would somehow make me feel content, that if I had the right relationship, that that would somehow make me feel content. But the strategy of recognizing that joy doesn't come from outside, it comes from what Jesus is doing within, that flips everything on its head. It changes how we approach life. It it changes how we approach our daily interactions with people because we're not there to gain from them. We're there to bring something, like in Romans where it says like, let genuine, let your love be genuine, right? Let that love be a genuine love towards others. Jesus sums it up in John 16, and then I'm going to close. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. So as he sums up all of his teaching, as he talks about, with his, he's sitting with his disciples, and he's like, I've told you all this stuff that I'm talking about so that you may have peace. Isn't that interesting? Like, Jesus didn't say, I'm teaching you all these things so that you can be a successful business person. I'm teaching you these things so that you can be successful and have lots of friends and everybody will like you and you'll be loved. He didn't say any of that stuff. The thing that he really focused on was so that you will have peace. Isn't that crazy? Like, that's so counterculture. That's so against, like, what the world tells us we should strive for and what our strategy in life should be for. But what Jesus says is like, I'm I'm telling you this so that you have peace. And he goes on and he says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome that. Take heart. Like, recognize that you can just rest in the fact that I'm going to bring peace regardless of how you do in your job. Regardless of how you maybe even mess up relationships that are around you or how other people will mess up your relationship with them in some way, or how some expectation that you have fell through, right? Um, Take heart. I have overcome all of that stuff. He says, I have come to give you peace, that sense of peace that supersedes all the things that we we rail against in our world, that we have, like, continually face and, and are challenged with. And so... As Christ followers, I want to talk about like these four things that I think are super important um, 
as I was like kind of thinking through how do we begin to like apply this and how does it become something that really just transforms life. Um, the spiritual formation that we have to begin to engage in. So when we talk about the like the the prayer we we had this morning, um, the time of reflecting, the time of writing down notes of like, what are the areas where God is speaking into my life? Um, That's all spiritual formation. Those are all ways that we begin to have that peace that Jesus invites us into because our strategy is no longer, how do I get more outside, but more, how do I transform inside? How do I begin to really deepen that relationship with Jesus? And the first part of it, um, I, I, I took these from a devotional that I would really encourage you to check out too, is from Renovare. You can write this down. I'll throw in the notes as well. Um, but Renovare is a like spiritual formation uh, ministry that trains up pastors and, and leaders and anybody that wants to go and be part of their program. But they put out a lot of good books and resources. And, um, and they kind of hone it down into these four things. So check it out. Everyone is spiritually formed, right? We're all being formed in some way throughout the week. We're all learning and growing in some way. My kids, sometimes I have to like reel back what they see on YouTube and these kind of things, right? Like I have to like recognize that we're all being formed. My kids are being formed um, and they're being formed by people you interact with, things you watch, um, our phones, right? Everyone is being spiritually formed, intentionally or not, from murderers to Mother Teresa. You're either being formed into something that is really good um, or something that is very destructive. We, we're all being formed in some way. I know those are extreme examples, but that acknowledgement, that recognition helps us see that we need to transform how we view our, our spiritual life. So the second part of it is your spirit, your inner self, your will, your character, the default things. Like when you choose something, that thing that drives you to go, here's how I want to spend my day. Here's how I want to spend my, my free time. Um, is deeply shaped by your experiences and teachers who may be actual instructors or parents or peers or influencers, whatever it is. Um, but we're being shaped by people all around us all the time. And we have to recognize that that, that decision-making part of our soul, of who we are, um, needs to be directed. We need people in our lives. Like I have a couple of people in my life that I have open, honest conversation about every part of my life. And when I sit with those people, it's trans- it transforms who I am. I went and surfed with uh, Eric. He's not here today. Um, but I surfed with him yesterday. And the waves were big, but they were walled out, and I had zero fun surfing. But I loved sitting and chatting with him because the conversation that we had was so just meaningful and significant. And it inspired me. And so we need people in our lives that, that shape that spirit that begin to help us go, oh yeah, that's something that I need more or less of in my life. Typically it's more, I need less of something in my life than more, but, um, so that's the second part of it. And then the third part is early in life, these experiences and teachers are largely chosen for you, your parents, right? Or there's teachers, there's people that are chosen for you that are just, it's, it's already in your life. As you get older, we have to recognize that we have to choose those people. Right? So we have to be intentional. We have to be like, I want like two or three people. So part of my strategy is I want to constantly keep two or three people in my life that ask me tough questions that I can be honest with where if they're like, hey, what's up with this? I, can, I don't hide from them. I tell them exactly what's going on. And 
I would encourage you, have those people in your life. If you don't, like, that takes time. There's a process that doesn't happen overnight. But have a strategy to say, I want those people. I want two or three people. Maybe they're really old and they've, they're seasoned in life. They've been experienced in what it means to live out the Christian life for a long time. Or maybe it's somebody that's younger, just wiser. I don't know. Or maybe it's somebody the same age. But find some people and have a strategy to say, I want to meet with them once a week. I want to meet with them at least once a month. Um, and I want to invite them into my life and say, ask me tough questions. Ask me about how I'm doing in this area of my life and my marriage and my parenting or whatever it is, my, my work. Um, so that's a third part. And then the fourth part is Christian spiritual formation is what happens when you center your life on Jesus. I know that sounds obvious, but it isn't primarily about practices. It's about falling in love and following Jesus. This love sparks and sustains spiritual disciplines even when they are hard because it gets difficult. And so to sum that up, I would say... Once I began to discover, like, a, just, a, I think, a deeper, like, just a relationship where I want to follow Jesus, I want to begin to, like, have these disciplines, I want to be open about my life, I want to grow and learn, um, it changed it from I have to do to I want to do, right? And, I, and that's just my hope and prayer is that we all, like, move more towards that because there's definitely seasons in life where that's not, that's not always my, my initial gut response, but my hope is that I continually shape that and continually desire that more and more um, to where Jesus becomes that, it's like a moment of silence is good and it's not tedious. A moment of sitting some, and reading scripture is not a drain. It's a, something I just, it feeds my soul. It somehow like fills my cup, right? Um, and that, that takes time. Again, that doesn't happen overnight, but that's a process of desiring that. And I think that's, that's part of spiritual formation, and that's my prayer and my hope. And so I want to close with just, again, that question that um, what's your life strategy? Like, we have to have a strategy or, right, as Benjamin Franklin said, uh, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. And we all know that even in just, like, the business world or in your jobs or whatever in our daily life. If we don't plan things, it's not going to take place. And the things that we plan for and the things that we organize life around will begin to be prioritized. And I think that what that list that we just read in Romans does is it begins to prioritize those things and say, let my love be genuine. Is it genuine right now or is it self-seeking? Am I doing it because I want to look holy in front of other people because I'm a pastor, right? Um, or because I'm a Christian or my coworkers know I'm a Christian, right? So that I just said that nice thing just to look Christian, finger quotes. Let those things like challenge you and like work you and go, oh yeah, you know, okay, yeah, yeah maybe I, that was a false motive. How can I do that different next time? Okay, I, I genuinely love that person. I do like them, and I want to say something kind to them, so I'm going to find something genuine. It, there's just a process of beginning to say, this is my strategy. I want, to, I want Jesus part of my plan and my daily life. And, um, and so that's my hope. That's my prayer. And so let me close this in prayer as we go into the rest of this day, this afternoon, and into this week, um, just that so we, we strategize um, life around really what, what brings peace, like Jesus said. The peace that is bigger than our circumstances. That's what I desire. So Lord, um, we face crazy stuff all week long. We, create, we face challenges. We face um, really beautiful things, really great things that happen throughout the week. Um, but we also face some challenges and we face uh, opportunities that aren't always desirable. 
So Lord, help us to really, I guess, recognize how to prioritize you in, in all of life, not just parts of life. We want to be centered around you, Jesus. So give us all strength as we leave this place, um, as we go back into um, maybe the routines that we have this week, our jobs, um, the places that you've called us to, and, and help us to really live in those areas with purpose, with intention, uh, because we want to love people. We want to love people genuinely because we truly do believe that you came to transform not just our lives, but our world, um, our community. And so work through us um, in beautiful, powerful ways. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.